0: So welcome back again to the second part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley, still joined on the other end of the Skype line by Shane Ambrose. So again today I'm going to play some more recordings that I made uh, uh, from the recent Novena in Knox Rhine uh, in, in August. Today I, I have two gentlemen, uh, one being John Bruton. John Bruton is a former Irish Fine Gael politician who served as Taoiseach from 1994 to 1997. He was also EU ambassador to the United States and held various other leadership and ministerial roles throughout his career. And John is going to speak to us on faith, future and Europe. So let's hear what John has to say to
1: us. I've been asked to talk about faith, future and Europe I'll start with faith. There's a deep need for faith in every one of us, even those who've never believed in God or who have ceased to do so. Archbishop Neary put it very well when he spoke in Westport on Reek Sunday recently. He said, people don't stop wanting God because they stop believing in him. The enduring hunger for meaning is there still. And in the absence of answers, there follows anxiety, depression, and a deep sense of being alone. Without transcendent meaning, without faith, life can become a day-to-day trek from one insignificant goalpost to another. Of course, people have doubts. But as Archbishop Neary told the pilgrims in Westport, faith is not primarily concerned with pinning down certitudes, but rather being open to a sense of wonder and awe, which will cut through our conservative certitudes and our liberal self-righteousness. Faith challenges both of them, both conservative certitudes and liberal self-righteousness faith asks us to look beyond our settled opinions it asks us to abandon our lazy relativism asks us to have the confidence and the courage to distinguish between what is true and what is untrue right and wrong and to recognize that some rights that people have are more important than others and that choices have to be made between them sometimes Of course, this sort of thing is difficult for us, as Catholics, to say even to our own families, and it is equally difficult for our church to say these same things to a wider and not always welcoming public. It can be difficult to pass on the faith to our children and grandchildren. As Archbishop Neary said on another occasion, the church and that's all of us, is being led, in his words, to newness, new awareness, new duties, new forms of mission, new possibilities that may puzzle us, which may scare us, and make us defensive. Above all, faith opens us up to something bigger than ourselves, Faith is something that transcends and gives meaning to everything else. In so doing, faith answers a deep human need in every one of us. Faith is a gift. A gift from God. But it's also a decision, a free decision, to accept that gift or not to do so. Like marriage... Faith is a commitment. What has that got to do with Europe? The late Pope John Paul II answered that question in an apostolic exhortation in 2003, uh, addressed to the faithful of Europe. And 2003 was the year that his own, two years after his own country, Poland, had joined the European Union. Speaking in 2003, He was hopeful about many things. He praised the new openness of European peoples to one another, putting strife behind them. He was pleased with the growth of a European consciousness among people and the growing unity of Europe. He said, There is no doubt that in Europe's history, Christianity has been a central and defining element The Christian faith has shaped the culture of the continent. He went on. Europe must recognize and reclaim with creative fidelity those fundamental values acquired through Christianity, namely the affirmation of the transcendent dignity of each person. The value of reason, Of freedom, of democracy, of the constitutional state, and of the distinction between political life and religion. End of the quotation from the Pope. He said he wanted Catholics and Christians generally to get involved with European institutions to help shape a European social order respectful of the human dignity of each man and each woman, and thus in accordance with the common good. He wanted them to understand that faith and reason are not antagonists, they complement one another. Faith inspires our reason, reason improves our faith. But he worried about Europe's loss of its Christian memory. A loss that he feared would bring about a pervasive fear of the future. Speaking in 2003, he was right. I think most would agree that the fear of the future is greater now in 2019 than it was in 2003. Without a reference to its religious heritage, Europe and Ireland is disconnected from the source of its most deeply held values, held um, shared values that could give it confidence and courage to face the future without so to speak a sense of the fate of our fathers we Europeans will lose our moorings at times it seems as if relativism has become the real religion of the modern European we incline to see no evil so we don't have to become involved. We are afraid to say what we believe is right in case it might give offence. We think everyone has their own truth and there's nothing that that is true for everybody such as the absolute truth revealed to us by Christ. Europeans should realise, reflecting on all this, that democracy needs a value system. Alexis de Tocqueville, the French writer who visited the United States in the 19th century, and observing how America was both a very democratic country and also a very religious country, and the two were separated but complemented one another. He said, and I quote, Despotism may govern without faith, but liberty cannot govern without faith. Despotism may govern without faith, but liberty cannot do so. Without a higher order of values, everything becomes subject to temporary majorities. Let me take the example of human rights. Is there any priority among rights that human beings ought to enjoy. Is a child human before it's born? Ought a yet-to-be-born child enjoy any human rights? Is the right to life not superior to other human rights, in the sense that without life a human cannot enjoy any other rights they might have? The teaching of our church offers clear sustainable, logical answers to these deep and difficult questions, just as it does to the deep questions about what constitutes a just war. As we have seen recently, democracy, I've seen this in Ireland, democracy, if guided only by relativism, offers no useful answers to these profound questions, so it avoids those questions. All it can do is suggest a process for decision-making, like a citizens' assembly or something of that nature, but it does not and cannot answer the substantial moral questions around the nature of human life and the rights attaching to human life. The argument instead is only on the level of pragmatism at best and emotionalism at worst. Our challenge is to convince young Europeans, young Irish people, of the modern value of their Christian heritage. One way to do do this is to ask them to look at the churches and cathedrals of Europe, magnificent churches and cathedrals, built over generations with the savings of people who were immeasurably poorer and far, far fewer in number than we are today. And look what they were able to do. Looking at these beautiful churches and cathedrals and reflecting upon them, we gain a window into the value system of our ancestors. Why did they make such sacrifices? To build churches and cathedrals that many would not see finished in their lifetime. Why were so many magnificent churches Built in this country, indeed, in the time of the famine. There is a five-letter word to explain why that happened. Faith. Faith in God. Faith in something greater than today. Faith in something beyond their own lives and beyond even the lives of their grandchildren or great-grandchildren faith in eternal life a cathedral or a basilica like this beautiful one is more than just a landmark it is a signpost to the future and if we in this generation do not have that faith in the future that our ancestors so well manifested in the churches that they helped to build we can regain it we can regain that sense of transcendence, that sense of our place in the greater scheme of things. And that's why we're all here in Knott today, to help one another to regain that faith in the future, to regain and strengthen that faith in God. The laity will have a much bigger role in the future of the Catholic Church. I think that's clear. But, as Archbishop nearly might have put it, the laity, as it takes on an increased role in evangelization, as we will have to do, it will have to, we will have to, undertake, as the Archbishop would have put it, new forms of mission, new possibilities that may puzzle us, which may scare us, and make us defensive. But isn't that much more interesting than sticking to the old road of social conformism of giving out about other people and their failings and doing nothing much about it.
0: So our second uh, speaker this morning uh, is Reverend Trevor Sargent. Reverend Trevor uh, is a Church of Ireland minister and a former Irish Green Party politician who served as Minister for State for Food and Agriculture from 2007 to 2010 and leader of the Green Party from 2001 to 2007. Trevor was ordained in 2018 and serves the parishes. ...of the Waterford Union. So the Reverend Trevor Sajid is going to speak with us again uh, today... on the topic, Faith in Action. So let's hear Reverend Trevor.
2: Good afternoon, it's such a pleasure and an honour... ...to be asked... ...dolga cracwirda... ...agus laart... ...la slua more naeafa... ...teanpa-learning ...agus ...fálcha ...a I bring you greetings from my own parish, uh, the Church of Ireland parish of the Waterford Union of Waterford, Tremor, Dunmore, and Annstown. And it is for them a great pleasure that I come here also. Our theme, faith in action, if one recalls the words of the letter of James, chapter 1, 22. Where James tells us very straightforwardly um, do not just hear the word and deceive yourselves, but do the word. And as such, we are called to be active disciples of Christ. My story, and some, as one or two says, I remember you from the television, so maybe there's a glimpse of a story there in some people's minds already but as a child growing up um, my uncle my uncle Arthur uh, God be good to him who's gone to his eternal reward he used to bring me on holidays to Mayo uh, particularly to Ackle and on leaving home my mother would say now make sure he goes to church um, and so my uncle would say yeah yeah sure i he wasn't a very um regular churchgoer himself so on sunday i'd say um uncle arthur um i'm going to church and he said i don't know where we're going then uh so anyway he brought me to the local roman catholic church It was the nearest one the only one that he could see and uh, as an eight or nine year old i i went and i prayed and i he collected me at the door and off we went so my um, it's, not, um, it's not unusual for me to be attending different churches, I suppose that's one point. On the other hand, I did have a faith which in school um, meant that my, my favourite pastime was the Scripture Union. A few of us used to, in fact, Luke's Gospel that we read would have been familiar because we had the Gospel of Luke. That was what we worked on. That, that was our, our textbook in Scripture Union. Uh, I suppose it's no surprised then that i felt a sense of vocation i became a primary school teacher um, and that led me to have teach religion i moved to cork west cork i wanted to teach in a to talk to school um, and I, I got involved in youth ministry there drawing cartoons for our dio- diocesan magazine uh, we all we all have our callings i suppose um, but In a sense, um, that sense of faith also led me to be involved in whatever causes were going on around me. And one in North County Dublin that was very close to my heart was different people who on the outskirts of Dublin were finding that they were becoming the chosen site for uh, a dump or some other thing that was going to affect their quality of life. And that led to me being elected as a councillor to Dublin County Council and then as a TD in 1992 um, following some various planning corruption scandals that meant that when I was asking the question uh, has anybody else received a cheque that I've been sent and I didn't ask for, apparently that that caused a bit of a a, a stir. I was, if you like, catapulted into the public eye. I I didn't particularly seek it, but that's the way sometimes life goes. In the Oireachtas, however, I did, if you like, team up with people of faith in different political parties. Um, We started a prayer group, and we, um, at the time of the Good Friday Agreement, were very involved in meeting people on both sides of the border, people from South Africa, from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, people who, through faith, were working at bringing peace into very fractious, um, divided communities. And uh, that, thank God, has resulted in the miracle of the Good Friday Agreement. I do believe it was a miracle. It still is a miracle, and it's a miracle we need to continue to pray for with Brexit coming down the tracks. Um, As uh, a TD, I was also involved in my church, and when I lost the election 2011 uh, I do thank the people of Dublin North Uh, I know they mightn't see it that way but by closing that door they allowed God to open another and so my my role now as a as a priest in the Church of Ireland has become possible and I work with Eco Congregation Ireland which involves all of the denominations um, Christian denominations working on the environment so action is at the heart of it. But I would say that in Isaiah, and we heard from Jeremiah there, um, and Isaiah, in a similarly prophetic way, calls us to action. And he says in the first chapter, when you, this is God speaking, uh, and through Isaiah, we read these words. When you stretch out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make many prayers. I won't listen. Seek justice. And if you are willing and obedient, you will eat of the good of the land. So there's a very clear message from God that prayer is important, but unless God sees the follow-through in action, then it isn't going to be listened to. And that's the words from Isaiah. And we recently had the mass killings in America once again, in Dayton, uh, Ohio, and in El Paso. And as we often hear on the television or the radio, when community leaders uh, come on in response to a tragedy, you hear the words, my thoughts and prayers are with the family. Ever heard that before? And thank God we have the thoughts and prayers of people supporting us going through a crisis through a bereavement, through grief. But in Ireland, we have a wonderful way of doing much more. In fact, by action, we show our prayerfulness. We bring trays of sandwiches. We bake a cake. We are with people. And that is the action which Isaiah is talking about. It is more than just words. It is more than thoughts. It is action. And in America, you had quite a reaction to the community leaders, political leaders, saying our thoughts and prayers. They were saying, thoughts and prayers without action is actually quite hypocritical. They were saying, where is the gun law? Where is the reform? Where is the action to stop this happening again? So action is required along with thoughts and prayers. In the poor case of Nora Curran, Uh, from uh, who died in Malaysia the Irish teenager the action of the people who helped in that search who helped to feed the people helping in that search was probably more tangible than all of the prayers that were being offered on behalf of that unfortunate teenage girl who died and likewise the footballers in the cave where one diver Um, uh, was killed. Those divers that offered to help find those boys and rescue them were giving expression to the action, faith in action. So Isaiah is making that point so many years ago, 2,800 years ago, uh, we, we reckon. And there is in Isaiah something very, very contemporary. And that is, he is talking about justice, he's talking about food, he's talking about lives. And in our day, climate change is taking lives. The World Health Organization from 2014 estimates a quarter of a million extra deaths every year due to the drought and the famine, the floods and the extreme weather caused by climate change. Just last January, the New England Journal of Medicine said that was a conservative estimate. It's actually much more than that. So people are calling out for action. So when we pray, it it is so important that we look to action. Christian Aid has produced our booklet, Faith in Action, Hear Our Prayer. And I have a few copies for anybody, uh, well, not for everybody actually, unfortunately, uh, but Christian Aid, I'm sure, will help. I'll give you whatever copies I have, anyway. But to me, and this is such a great pleasure to be here because much of my hope for the future has been um, boosted by Pope Francis. In writing Laudato Si, his encyclical from 2015, we have a call to action, a prayerful call to action. And it is an action which is not any way um, um, easy, it is challenging. Um, And it's something poignant because tomorrow, the great celebration here of the miracle at Nock in 1879, and in September, the 40th anniversary from the visit of Pope John Paul II, And it's something amazing that paragraph 79 of this encyclical contains these words as a call to action. And the words of Pope Francis, the work of the church seeks not only to remind everyone of the duty to care for nature, but at the same time she must above all protect mankind from self-destruction not just pray not just strive not just do something but protect mankind from self-destruction so that call to action from Pope Francis is on the bottom it is exactly what the scientists are saying needs to be done and it is uh, leadership um, which we don't see too often in the church that is drawing together all the churches because through the work of all the churches working as Eco Congregation Ireland and you can look them up ecocongregationireland.com I worked with Sister Catherine Brennan and representatives of all the faiths in Ireland um, they are putting into action by asking every parish to register with Eco Congregation Ireland and exercise that element of your mission which takes account of God's creation on which we all depend and on which God relies on us to protect. So I was going to finish with a prayer from that booklet, but what I would like to do instead, I just thought of it and I mentioned it to Father uh, Richard, was just to sing two verses of a hymn we had last Sunday in our worship in Christ Church in Tremor. And when I was singing it last Sunday, I said, that speaks so much of knock. It's a hymn of healing, a hymn of brokenness, a hymn of humility, and a hymn which Our Lady would, I believe, be singing herself in the way you hear these words. I want you to just think of what they might mean to you. We cannot measure how you heal or answer every sufferer's prayer. Yet we believe your grace responds where faith and doubt unite to care. Your hands, though bloodied on the cross, survive to hold and heal and warn to carry all through death to life and cradle children yet unborn. So some have come who need your help and some have come to make amends as hands which shaped and saved the world are present in the touch of friends. Lord, let your Spirit meet us here to mend the body, mind, and soul, to disentangle peace from pain and make your Broken people, whole. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: So again, we hope that uh, you uh, enjoy those two talks given by John Bruton and Trevor Sargent. Uh, and now we'll play a second piece of music, and this is taken from the Maranatha Singers, and this one is entitled, I Will Serve You. So let's do this.
3: Will serve you because I love you. You have given life to me. I was nothing until you found me. You have given life to me. Part A, Bye.